Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 183. I said to you a few episodes ago, we had some big episodes coming up and you're about to hear possibly one of my favourite episodes so far with the creative director at Shift, Brian McKenzie. I'm sure there's a few of you that have heard of Brian and seen his work and there may be a few that haven't. But Brian is someone who's constantly pushing the boundaries and some of his work, I think, is really questioning what we've done before and really maximizing what we're doing. And we focused in on breath work and the importance of um, breathing correctly and um, loads of great links between breathing and mobility and immune health and loads of other aspects as well. So we covered absolutely loads in this episode um, I just want to say thank you as well to everybody that gave feedback on the previous episode with Dr. Paul Comfort as well. It was great to hear that so many people took so much away from that episode. And as always with this one, please give this a share because the good thing about this episode as well is that it isn't strictly for people involved in football. This could literally go out to anyone. I think anyone could benefit from the things that Brian is talking about in this podcast. So once you've listened give it a share, but send it out to people that maybe you wouldn't send our podcast out to normally um, just to spread it far and wide. Because I think this this information that Brian is talking about is really, really crucial and important. Now, just before we dive into the podcast, I just want to give a quick reminder. Our next networking event is on Wednesday, the 27th of April, 5.30 to 8.30 p.m., at the University Academy 92 in Manchester. It's going to be focused around knee injuries in professional football and elite sport. We've already got a fair few practitioners booked onto this event, but there are still tickets available. As this podcast goes out, which is on the Wednesday, um, this is the final day for the early bird ticket price. So if you are past this day, there there are still tickets available, but you will be paying the full price ticket. Um, Just go to footballfitfed.com and click the shop tab to get your ticket for that event. And then just before we get into the episode, I just want to say a huge thank you to our sponsors. First of all, Black Box Fitness. Black Box are the world's best training equipment, accessory and apparel brand. Black Box believes that training isn't just a checkbox on your to-do list. Training is a lifestyle continually seeking your highest performance in the gym, on the pitch, at home and in everyday life. To perform at your best, you need the best and Black Box has you covered. So go and check them out over on social media at BLK Box Fitness. And then a huge thank you as well to Rezzle. Rezzle is the world's leading cognitive training platform for sport. By using VR technology, Rezzle and Player22 can create game style scenarios and recreate pressure to help you prepare for the real thing. So go and check those out on social media at Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. And then, as I mentioned in the last episode, Hytro Training are our other sponsor. So have you tried Hytro, the wearable blood flow restriction solution that is unlocking better recovery in players? While many may have used blood flow restriction for rehab, Hytro are demonstrating the huge impact BFR can have on recovery and performance when used after competition or training. Through their innovative design, BFR straps are integrated into shorts, delivering BFR to groups of players safely and more conveniently than ever before. 
and that I can attest that their their clothing is absolutely top quality as well. I've got one of the t-shirts. It's absolutely brilliant. So go and check them out. Hytro.com, H-Y-T-R-O.com or email warren at hytro.com to find out how Hytro can help accelerate the recovery of your athletes and players. Let's get into the podcast now. It's a big one. I'm looking forward to you to listen to this. This is episode 183 with the creative director at Shift, Brian McKenzie. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 183. And I'd like to say a big welcome onto the podcast to Brian McKenzie. Brian, how are you? Good. How are you doing, Ben? Thanks for having me. No problem. I really appreciate you coming on. I've just been saying just before we start recording, I've listened to you on a, a number of podcasts now. I've got to say podcasts much bigger than this one, but um, really love the work that you put out there. And I'm really keen to dive into some of it on this, this episode. So, Brian, I know this is the golden question, but mm. some of our listeners might have heard of your work. Some may not. Can you give a little bit of a breakdown on, on what you do? Um, I mean, the simple explanation is <laughs> um, I do biological engineering. <laughs> I, I do not like to use technologies at all, um, although I use them for data collection. Um, I am in I am I am primarily invested in the human experience as it is from a biological perspective that his that began in human performance and having a fascination with performance um and it's steered me towards a lot of different uh modalities and ways to manipulate the human experience um namely at the foundation of that currently uh is breath control and we've uncovered a number of things with breath control that seem to be um, <laughs> some of the most pivotal changes that we've been able to create in performance and the human experience at large. Um, that said, um, you know, I don't think I could retrain an animal's breathing, a wild animal's breathing pattern. So uh, that would apply to the human experience if we were still wild. Um, <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, we are not. And so I have a pretty uh, interesting job. More or less, I work around stress and, and, and manipulating stress in order to create an adaptive process, which is more or less what anybody in exercise science, sports sciences, et cetera, are really doing. Um, I'm just taking a simpler approach to it. Um, and we use breath control at the foundation of it all. Awesome. And that's something that we're obviously going to dive into today, because I think breath work and breathing techniques are probably something that a lot of practitioners listening have heard of. Whether they utilize yeah. them and utilize them in the right way is probably a different discussion. So we will yeah. get into that. I'm keen to dive into that. But just just first of all, where did this um, interest, this passion of yours come from? Uh, <laughs> I'm a curious person by nature. I am driven by curiosity and learning. Um, and I challenged somebody who handed me a resistance breathing device, a training mask. They gave it to me and it said elevation training mask on it. And I 
I had, so I, I've studied um, altitude and hypoxia for about 15 years. Like I've really looked into it at a high depth and I've created some IP around development for things with that stuff. But for some reason, um, breath control escaped that process in the first like five to seven years. Um, I was using machines, et cetera, to manipulate more altitudes or oxygen scrubbers to uh, screw with things. But when somebody handed me this device, it said elevation training mask, I, uh, I kind of laughed and was like, this can't change pressure. Like, it, I mean, it doesn't change barometric pressure. Like we're not seeing changes in atmospheric pressure and barometric pressure, um, even though it's creating more pressure when we breathe in, I didn't make the connection, but I knew that I hadn't used the device. So I put it on anyway. And when I put it on, when I drew a breath, I sat up and organized myself. And it was due to that resistance and that pressure from a mechanical standpoint, which most of us can understand in exercise physiology, that when you apply resistance to something, you'll get more or less better engagement to something, right? So I instantly organized my spine when I did this in a very different way. And I took a very uh, coordinated breath. And it flipped my lid because I now knew I had a device that I could give to athletes that were global that I was working with to get them to organize themselves better when we were warming up or doing things just to train, right? So I was like, oh, wow. Then that took me down the rabbit hole of breathing. Um, but it began with mechanics because my background came from movement and, me and, and mechanics. And so I had a very formal and like formal understanding in running mechanics, et cetera. And, and that was basically what I had done. I've got two books on endurance training, et cetera. Um, one of them, a New York times bestseller uh, called unbreakable runner. And all of this stuff was like in my wheelhouse, but like it, it just shattered my brain that like I hadn't thought about this. So I wanted to learn more. And I started studying the physiology on, on respiratory physiology. And then I started looking into neurobiology because breathing is, starts in the brain. And, you know, the whole thing just led to me uncovering a lot of things that were, nobody was talking about, nobody was doing. In fact, there still is nobody really looking at this stuff in the way that we are currently, which is very, very odd to me because of what we're seeing, um, you know, and we're sharing that publicly, but it, it's just, it's a very interesting wor world. Um, nonetheless, the resistance breathing device kind of fell off because we figured, we found out that we had our own biological resistance breathing device with us at all times. And it's called our nose and, and, athletes even the best athletes in the world aren't using it appropriate appropriately um and that's not to say that everything is nasal breathing but it is part of the fundamentals of breathing and it's a lost art as james Nestor's book breathe talks about um 
you know, it's a, uh, it's a fundamental lost art and there's a reason why it's a fundamental lost art and it's called civilization and indigenous cultures didn't, uh, lose this. They, they, they hold on to this, you know, art nonetheless, that was where it began and why it began. Um, and I took some rather deep dives into, um, the, the entirety of how breathing works and really came to some very interesting uh, observations that have been talked about in things like yoga for thousands of years, but have been poo-pooed or ignored with inside the human performance world, which is radical because I was one of those people who poo-pooed, but now I'm like, oh shit, like these guys were right like about what they were talking about. <laughs> and Brilliant. it's just... The, the applications are very similar, um, although it's different um, in, in, in certain respects, because when we're talking about things like football, it's, you know, it's a high metabolic demand effort that's going into this high skill. Um, all of these things come, but all of these things are actually a part of things in what yoga originally meant. Um, you know, which was to come together, to unify something, to understand with the highest moral code. It wasn't about getting flexible. It had nothing to do with that. Um, but nonetheless, that was why all this stuff kind of came to fruition and how it came to fruition. Now, I want to deal with the skeptics out there, Brian, because I, I imagine there's a few that yeah, yeah. are like, I breathe. My players yeah. breathe. Like, oh, like, yeah. Why do I need to focus on this? I do it all the time. Well, let's dive into that because I know you've got loads of great information on the benefits and some protocols that we could potentially go into as well. Um, what would you say to someone that's got a, someone, someone with, with that opinion to start with? I, I mean, everybody's entitled to their opinion and, you know, there is no right or wrong way. There's what are you learning? Um, but that sort of a response already tells me where somebody's at, which means they believe they're an expert. Um, which means that they have nowhere to go. Um, I'm still learning about a lot of this, but what I do understand, um, and we've actually shared this publicly with professional athletes that we've tested um, on metabolic carts, uh, that there is a big difference in what you want to accomplish metabolically. And if you think you understand that without applying any sort of breath control or any sort of better breathing strategies to that you're behind the curve at this point so by all means people can poo-poo all they want but i can guarantee you with the conversations that we're having and where we're having them people are going to get left behind and then they're going to be coming up in the rear going oh shit like this does have an impact. I mean, there's a reason why the oldest movement practice in the world has it at its foundation. Um, you know, um, and you know, it, 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 it's, it's very simple to understand in terms of if you understand how energy works, how we, how, how we work metabolically, you have to understand, like if you have not taken a look at respiratory physiology as a result of that, you're missing the big, big, big component because that is in the first basic response to any sort of stressor, whether that be physical, emotional, or, um, you know, uh, um, 
psychological, et cetera, right? So we respond to our environment um, physically and emotionally. And for the first time in our history, probably in the last hundred years or so, as it's gotten worse, we are at a loss emotionally, meaning we, our emotional intelligence hasn't really changed much um, or evolved. And our breathing patterns respond to emotion instantaneously. So meaning, <laughs> if I'm an angry, sad, frustrated, whatever person that deals with emotions on a long-term basis, meaning I'm just pissed off at society or pissed off the way things are going on or take that to anything you want, you can bet there's a breathing pattern that's following that. And that's usually comes with, you know, societally, what, what I'm talking about is more or less people talk a lot more than they need to. <laughs> and that comes with a metabolic cost. So if I've spoken a little bit too long right now, my arousal state goes up. There's a metabolic consequence as a result of that, good or bad or indifferent. So my, I have a metabolic shift that occurs as a result of me breathing the way I am with my mouth open and speaking. And rightfully so, I should be driving attention towards you and what we're talking about, right? So at any rate, just to wrap that, that question up into this is it's like people, like we have, I have studied this so far into the, into the well, we have looked at this so deep into the well that I can correlate it to behavior and responses from people and how they interact with us and telling me what's right or what's wrong. And it's not about what's right or what's wrong. Here's what we understand so far. And there's a mountain of anecdotal evidence about this. Yeah. Not for me, from other experts. So yeah. no, it's a, it's a great, great point. Um, I want to start in a place because I know with football and a lot of other sports, there's certain cultures and um, involved and there's certain areas that we know that we can impact maybe quicker than others. And I think one easy way to start or one good way of start is, is the recovery side and how yeah. we can maybe implement stuff in recovery because players are receptive to it. Um, coaches are receptive to it. And it just seems to be an area that players might, in my opinion, they might look into it a little bit more initially before we start talking about other areas. So with that in mind, in terms of recovery for players, what's a, what are some strategies possibly that we can use? And then we can maybe dive into some specifics like cold exposure and things like that. Yeah. Um, first and foremost, the nervous system is pretty much at the foundation of response to recovery, right? And I think we all can pretty much agree on that. Um, you know, it's why we use HRV. It's why we look at central nervous system development. It's why all of these systems, the technologies we're looking at literally tap into what's going on from a nervous system standpoint. The easiest way to grab a hold of one's nervous system is through our breathing. The fastest way is through the visual system. Um, and so, you know, like, uh, so I have a, one of my close friends is a, um, he's a, he's a neuroscientist with an ophthalmology background, Dr. Andrew Huberman. And so 
his focus has been around vision his entire career. And we've talked extensively about this. We became friends because he contracted me to come into his lab, develop protocols for some things around breathing. But I've, because the eyes are a part of the brain, the visual system is taking in so much information and the way we're taking it in, it's the fastest way to learn how to do something would be through the visual system. But the easiest way is breathing because we can actually grab a hold of our breathing in any situation, right? Um, and it becomes harder to work with the visual system unless we actually have trained that extensively. So meaning if I want to, if I'm somebody who's a footballer and I'm in a stadium, the easiest way to recover in any way, shape or form is to look at the furthest point in that stadium and be drop into more of a panoramic vision to where we're allowing ourselves th think of a sunset, right? Like who freaks out looking at the sunset? Nobody. <laughs> Why? It's not because th their head's telling them. So. It's because you've literally sent a signal to shift down, right? So using that is, is one strategy. But the, I think the most important one is actually developing a breathing strategy that we've seen is the fastest way to get the nervous system to drop out. Um, sometimes in very heightened arousal states, um, meaning when we're under large metabolic load stress or high, high, high motion panics type situations, we can, we can start with some mouth breathing where it's intentional to offload carbon dioxide so that we can actually create a, uh, a calming or a relieved feeling. So unfortunately, when there's an emotional panic situation and there's no metabolic cost for that, that doesn't really come very easily. Okay. And, and, and that's important to under understand and differentiate. All right. There's a reason why people handed people paper bags when they were having panic attacks and not telling them to hyperventilate because if there's no metabolic need to offload that much carbon dioxide, you're, you're flipping the pH a little bit to an alkaline situation, which is only constricting the blood vessels to the brain and making you hypoxic in the brain quickly, which is sending you into a higher sympathetic output. But if there is, however, metabolic demand, so think of lifting weights, sprints at maximal output, et cetera, the easiest, fastest way is to in intentionally use what we will call a gear five. So think of five gears in a car, all right? And gear five is mouth only breathing. And so that becomes the And the moment we can feel a minor switch or a drop is when we can flip into a nose, mouth. Then when we can feel a switch from that, we can drop into nose, nose. And the sooner I get to calm, relaxed, nasal only breathing, the faster my nervous system has dropped out and responded. And the easiest way we know how to do that is by almost double timing the exhale to the inhale. Okay. Right? So that's a gear down from five 
to four to actually getting you to a one. Three, two, and one are all nasal. Three would be a... Two would be a... And then one, calm nasal breathing or equal in and out. So it's, it's fairly simple in what we've developed and just using a gearing strategy, but that becomes for recovery. What we typically use for recovery and letting people know that they're recovered is using anywhere in the vicinity of a one breath cycle, meaning inhale and exhale one breath cycle in five to seven seconds. And that typical pattern, you've got somebody who's regulated and ready to go again. That can become, um, <laughs> you can get really good at that and still have high output. And that means like I can function above a 140 heart rate with one breath every seven seconds or so. So now when I started doing all of this, that was not the case. Um, but, and there are plenty of athletes we've worked with and, you know, even non-professional athletes we've worked with who've developed a high enough tolerance, CO2 tolerance where they can handle that, but they feel ready to go at those levels, even at higher heart rates, which tells us that heart rate really is not the indicator of things that we thought it once was. Yeah, I've I've dabbled with this stuff a little bit, and I it's when you say that I think a lot of people think, oh well, that that sounds okay, five to seven seconds, and that's that breathing pattern and changing of gears. It's not yeah. like this yeah. stuff needs practicing, doesn't it? Like oh, any yeah. sort of skill, this yeah. needs working on. Yeah, it does. But once that skill is developed, look, once motor control, once you've been able to hardwire, that becomes a pattern. Because you, you, it, it's why I can get on a bike now at, you know, like roughly 275 to 300 watts for, an, for a long effort, a longer effort. And I prefer nasal breathing at that level over mouth breathing. Meaning if I were to mouth breathe at that wattage, what happens is we start to see a shift in energy up into more anaerobic activity quicker and I become more stressed. So I can actually feel the tension start to happen at those levels. Now, that doesn't mean at those at higher outputs than that mouth breathing or that gear five doesn't come into play. It most certainly does. But through development of better aerobic function, higher aerobic function, we are seeing, we see like, holy crap. Like I, I don't want to be breathing like that right here because it's actually draining. Mm -hmm. It's costing more money. We start to understand the cost of ATP. When we, when we start relating this stuff to VO2 max or how strong we are, and yeah. that's why we're pushing boundaries on that stuff is to get more efficient. If we relate that to this, it becomes obvious, doesn't it? That, yeah, yes, yes. And that's the thing is it's like, and that's the first thing we start to see. I mean, I can see a VO2 max change in somebody in less than four weeks in just a very simple nasal breathing development program, not even allowing them to reach maximal outputs because we're actually training them how to breathe better, 
right? So they're actually developing a bigger cage. So the lung capacity is developing and they're also not allowing the limit of, so they're not going beyond the limit of where they're aerobically, like truly aerobically efficient at, right? Like what, once you start to get into that gear three, you're becoming anaerobic and mm -hmm. like you're becoming more anaerobic and it becomes uncomfortable. So you feel the need to start to flip to uh, bigger breathing patterns like, or right. And when we don't allow that, you're forcing that nose to actually dig deeper and, and, and the byproduct of metabolism, which becomes that, that bore effect, which is that slick, that, that, that ability to tolerate the acidity in the blood with CO2 and O2, you're starting to use more of that oxygen at those higher levels. And so you're re actually retraining the system so that then when we go to test, like maximally, it's like, there's a whole nother gear above where these people thought they could, they could land. And case in point was one of, one of the early, um, you know, CrossFitters I was working with at the games level, right? He came to me, um, he was an Aussie kid and he came to me and I had him on a month of just development of nasal breathing with his endurance work. He couldn't get up to a 140 heart rate nasal only breathing on, on an assault bike. At the end of four weeks, he was at 170 heart rate, and he said he could, and he felt like he could go forever just nasal breathing. We didn't even touch the mouth breathing yet, mm. so it was like, oh, and he was like, dude, I'm sold. Like, what? What else do we need to do? And it's like, okay, here we go. With with people going through those change of gears from mouth breathing to nasal and mouth, and then to nasal. Is that like a natural progression for everyone? Does everyone end up nasal breathing at the end of it, if that makes sense? Or do some people not get to that point and it needs training for them to even achieve nasal only breathing? I, you know, from a general population standpoint, yes, it does. On the latter part of that question, meaning it's going to take a lot of retraining. But with the populations we're largely dealing with, um, in, in, in terms of performance, no, it becomes second nature because it's what you feel like the, the whole idea here. And this is why I use, you know, I preface what I do as a biological, like engineer here is like, you start to pay attention to what the fuck's going on with your body, mm. not metrics that are outside of you that mean nothing. Those are byproducts of you getting dialed in here. And I dial it in here before we even start to look at those outside metrics. But those outside metrics will reflect what's going on internally. And so we train people from the physiological side, not from the psychological side necessarily, right? I don't let people, like, we, we get their attention focused on themselves, not on outside of them. And so that inevitably leads somebody to, you know, any performance junkie is going to see those numbers change if they're invested in the actual time to make the changes. I warned you at the start, this is a good episode. I hope you're enjoying it so far. There's loads more that Brian covers in this episode, but just very quickly, if you haven't checked out our online community, go and check it out because it gives you the 
accessibility to a number of different coaches around the football world. You can connect with them, you can network with them. We've got coaches from the UK, in the US, Israel, um, over in Greece, Cyprus, absolutely scattered all over the place. So it's a great way of networking with a number of different coaches. There's also loads of presentations and webinars to watch online as well from loads of different coaches. Our three latest from our last event are um, Head of Academy Sports Science at Bristol City, Stephen Taylor, presented on acute fatigue in youth football. Head of SNC at Bristol, Del Bonsu, presented on work in progress, the SNC programme at Bristol City. And then the legend that is Rich Clark from Strength Coach Curriculums. He also presented on agility training, what it is, what it isn't, and how to do it. So you can get access to those presentations by signing up to a free month on the community. Go to footballfitfair.com, click the community tab, sign up there, it'll give you a month free. After the free month, it is only £4.99 per month. Once you become a full member, you can get access to our WhatsApp group and connect with loads of coaches in there as well. So go and check out. If you're not already grabbed your free month, go to footballfitfair.com click the community tab, sign up there and come and join the community. Here's part two of the podcast with Brian McKenzie. Brilliant. And then just an expansion on the recovery topic. Yes. That that was great in terms of in a game situation, in a training situation. I think there's already stuff that practitioners can start thinking about um, to get players to focus on in terms of recovery during that session or that game. What about post? So when the game's finished, um, we're wanting players to now recover for the next day of training or the next game. What about some approaches or protocols to use there? Yeah, um, you know, this kind of gets into the, you know, a lot of people, you know, you need to find out what works for you. But, um, you know, this has been the big kind of one of the interesting plays that the new breathing community as there is this new, community that's developed. And I guess I'm a part of that, but nonetheless, um, you know, it's, uh, these blanket protocols that work for everybody. There, there's no such thing just so we're clear. And we started seeing that pretty early on is people respond to patterns, breathing patterns very differently because of how they handle stress and certain patterns can have, uh, consequences to them that people like spin off or become actually more charged from, um, you know, a case in point or things like, you know, Wim Hof method for somebody who deals with anxiety. Um, you're, you're quite literally inducing an anxious breathing pattern into yourself and, and, and exacerbating that stuff. Even though there's people with anxiety who've used the Wim Hof method and, and have had, um, some success with it. It's not, this isn't about the Wim Hof method. It's about understanding how physiology works, how stress physiology works and how you interact with stress. I've seen people wig, just totally freak out, like hyperventilating. Um, and then I've seen people who totally bottomed out and calmed down by using it, right? But one thing certain is that when we slow our breathing patterns down, to a, um, to what we would c- call CO2 tolerance, to what your tolerance is, 
we tend to see a calming of the system in its entirety. So one of the easiest strategies you can use is something like a three count inhale followed by a double time or more exhale and following that for five to 10 minutes. We have things that are set up on for free off of our uh, website at shiftadapt.com um, on starting a breath practice. There's also a link in my bio on my Instagram account on starting breath practice where people can actually measure their exhale test and get an understanding of what that CO2 tolerance is so that they can correlate that to some patterns that might work for them in terms of uh, timing, two things. And that timing to things is important because, it, and, and here's the simple explanation of that. If I asked every one of your uh, you know, listeners to just stop and hold their breath right now, just take an inhale and hold. And I ran a clock for 30 seconds. You'd have a bunch of different breath hold times, right? And that's easy for people to understand like that. Your breath, your respiration rate's the same thing, man. Everybody's respiration rate does not sit in the same spot because it's constantly changing due to the amount of information we're taking in, processing, the work demand or metabolic demand that's going on, right? All of these things are at play. And so it's a constant fluctuation. So getting an understanding of where your baseline's at in a calm place can give you a good understanding of what to do. So a good recovery strategy for post-game or post-training session is to find a breathing rhythm that works for you and spending five to 10 minutes afterwards just going through that pattern. That'll drop you out. Making sure you don't jump on your phone mm. or in front of a screen is one of the most important things you can do if you actually want to recover because that is telling that you're, you're, that is telling your brain to turn back on and you're trying to switch down. And so this is where the conundrum of technology, et cetera, starts to fall into place is a lot of people, a lot of athletes, and I watch them all the time, go right to their phone as soon as they're done training. And it's like, dude, like that's gotta be the last thing you do or do that. Like you've really got to be, um, you know, thinking about this differently and, and what you really care about. And it's not on that phone. I can guarantee it. Yeah, that's, it's a great point. And it's probably like you say, that's coming across not just sports men and women, is it? That's just coming across society as a whole oh, that we, that we uh, reach for those devices too easily. Yeah. 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 You know, I mean, the thing is, is like in performance, in the performance world, you know, what we're dealing with, there's such an opportunity for, for these people to actually learn about their physiology, not from a academic standpoint, but from a deep interoceptive standpoint that becomes such a catalyst for deep work towards one's own self-healing and self-understanding, but it's being it's literally being demolished because of the need, like our attachments and false beliefs towards the need to win or the need 
to be better than somebody else, the comparative narrative versus really truly just going and learning and understanding your own physical body. And that becomes a driver for people to be, to improve. I, we, I don't think we're anywhere even close to expressing our biological potential. And I think we've actually gone in, in reverse in a lot of cases, even though we think based on where we're at from the professional standpoint, how things have improved. I would argue that technology has interrupted that in so many capacities and we don't understand it. And, and th there's, there's a very unique situation that occurred a few Olympics back or a couple Olympics back with a sprinter who actually went and dressed up and, and, and competed prior to the Olympics in the, in the way that Jesse Owens did, meaning he dressed, wore the same shoes, had the same starting block, meaning he had to dig his own holes and he was on a cinder track. And this is a guy who runs a second or more faster, I think, than Jesse Owens record, right? And he ran a second slower than Jesse Owens did, right? And so what we're not connecting, we're getting, we're being, we're, 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 we're giving ourselves an illusion based on all the fancy shit that's around us. And we're buffering ourselves from that to truly understand where we are at biologically. And I believe I am wholeheartedly under the impression that we aren't, that, that we have, there's so much more opportunity in this, especially from the physical and performance standpoint to learn about oneself. And when one is off, like an athlete knows when they're off, but Unfortunately, they're exact, they're, 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 that's becoming an, an exacerbation of like dysfunction because they're comparing themselves to somebody else or they're because they can't win something or because they're not getting a contract for something. They're totally like getting off basis with the whole thing and creating a traumatic experience out of it. And then when a career is over, they can't, they can't separate themselves from that. So Sorry to take you down the philosophical approach to that, but this is the reality that we're dealing with with inside professional sports at a global level. And I'm seeing it in every sport that I deal with. And I've, I've dealt with, I don't know, like a dozen or more different sports at this point. And it, it, it's the same thing, you know, from strictly strength to endurance to things like football or even hockey and um, professional, you know, NFL, whatever. It, it's the same thing. Yeah, it just got me thinking when you're talking about the whole process post-game. And there's a lot of aspects that players have to deal with in that time where it's very emotional, whether it's that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, with Depending on the level, media commitments, then you've got discussions with coaches. There might be discussions or arguments with teammates and all the rest of it. And I, was, I was trying to think, like, what would be the optimal, really, if we were trying, and I know it depends person to person, but if we were to try and really focus on recovery in that time, I guess the, the best way would be to take someone back to their breath and have a period of reflection on the game, wouldn't it? And, and let them reflect on it and, and sort of sit or just... 100% so that that game is not something that's thought about the next day. It's something that we've actually processed and been able to move on to and learn from. And here's what we're applying. That's a relationship. Like 
there's no difference in how one would with a spouse or with a, you know, whatever. This is the same thing, but we're not doing this, unfortunately. Well, that, that, if we take that, because I know a lot of coaches will be like, okay, that's great, but we, we can't do that because there's a lot of other factors that come into play. There's definitely a, a halfway point in there somewhere, isn't there? That, okay, that's, that's, if we take that as ideal, what's a little bit less than ideal, but still gives us that, that aspect that players can reflect and, and get this sort of work in? And there's, I'm not expecting an answer from you, but I think that's a, that's a discussion that has to be had, isn't it? Like that, that needs to be taken into consideration. Certainly. I, I mean, certainly I, you know, I, I, I help, I work, I don't help. I, I, I work with a lot of people, guide a lot of people who I have to meet halfway. And, you know, it's a, um, it's an interesting process because it's not until you go all the way in, that you're going to actually truly understand. <laughs> and, you know, um, so you have to actually sit there and, still work with somebody to guide them towards almost coming to that own, their, their own conclusion. Z, z, the, 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 the study of Zen has been a, uh, it, it, this is the whole point of Zen, right? The whole point of Zen is to, is for a Zen master to expose the student to himself or herself. So they stop torturing themselves and see the big picture and that happiness actually is, and it's not something you can achieve. And that's the state that we all want to exist in yet as a society and culture, even in football, we're chasing this. We have to win in order to be happy. No, that's not, there couldn't be anything more incorrect about that. Winning can be a byproduct of the, uh, the understanding of becoming happy, being happy, right? Nonetheless, if I don't have equilibrium inside or homeostasis with inside the organization, it's going to be dysfunctional. And so now I can have a winning team that's highly dysfunctional. Great. Like, what does that mean? You know, like it's just, it's a destructive process, but nonetheless, there is a place to meet people as long as there is, as long as we're kind of still guiding people towards this understanding of self, right. And how to manage and work with people in, in, in a way that you're seeing a lot of organizations move towards like, Oh, like they, they really do are looking towards moving towards things like this. You know, you have organizations or even companies like a, uh, something like a great example of something like Patagonia. Like it's all about stuff like this, right? Like, and there's no reason why being at the top can't mean taking care of oneself at the bottom, at the foundation. So how does that look for the company? Does that mean adding in some breathwork practices throughout the day at times of reflection and then they measuring it against productivity? Like what, what's that look like? For I actually company? think it's education. Okay. To be honest. It's education with inside the organization Yeah. and what that actually means. And breath just becomes a part of that. Like I don't by any means think breath is the answer to all of this. Um, and there's no amount of breath work that'll work that, that, that will, um, that, that, that can 
you know, take away the pain you're not willing, willing to deal with. And unfortunately, that's where the breath movement has basically taken us, which we predicted was going to happen anyway. You know, people attach themselves to things very quickly because they don't want to feel or process what is really going on, which is why at the organizational standpoint, it can't just be about winning. Winning should be the byproduct of us actually understanding where the dysfunction is and how to work with that and make the, make the actual organization a healthy ecosystem for everybody to be a part of to where they can shit, man, I'm going to go down regulate after this game. Cause that is what that, cause I know that's how I feel best. Right. Like I'm going to practice with intention. And if something's off, I'm going to bring that up and I'm going to make changes based on that. This is where something like breathing comes in. Breathing strategies come in. Like, it's, hey, we are not going above a gear four today with these, with this work effort we're creating because we know that everybody's gear four is going to change based on where they are at from a physical standpoint. You can't be like, if I were to say, let's just say gear one, let's just say we did some gear one training today. Like everybody's going to do gear one. Well, a lot of athletes are going to find out that their gear one today, they're not able to put out as much as they were yesterday or the, or three days before. But nonetheless, that gear one stands. We're still getting the metabolic output that we were looking for, hmm. but they're not getting the work that they wanted. So the ego isn't getting its trip, right? And then we're not actually cooking the athlete in a way that is going to leave them needing more recovery than they did before. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Because then that across a squad of players, then it's reasonably easy to periodize that session and get what you want out of it, isn't it? Even 100%. though everyone's different. There you go. hundred percent. Like what you said about before about the, the um, breath hold. I think that defines it really nicely that you're not going to have everyone finishing at the same time. So it just yeah, shows. Man. And it's just like, oh, okay, so today everybody hold their breath. Why? How come everybody's breath hold changed? Because you're in a different place based on how well you've managed stress. Yeah. And so it just becomes a byproduct of how do we fine tune that for everybody? Not everybody's going to be in the same place at the same time, but we can get pretty close if we can create an ecosystem that welcome that, that allows people to want to thrive and function in that ecosystem. Then we see the best. We yeah. truly start to see the best. And again, before when I was planning this, I was trying to think about, right, what are the easy areas to go at for coaches to utilize this work? Because we know that with coaches, it's not as easy as just dropping something new in and everyone taking to it straight away. So I was mm -hmm. trying to think, like, recovery is definitely something that we can target. And then the other area I want you to maybe touch on is utilizing it with, like, mobility work or stretching. Oh, yeah. Because this is something that players do all the time. Like they know the benefits of doing their stretching, doing the mobility. But could this just be a really, really easy tweak that, okay, this is the time that we can now focus on it? 100%. But it can't replace the actual dent. Like if you're doing some stretching, et cetera, and, and tissue work, 
that that's its own thing, but you can enhance that through breath manipulation for sure. Um, and, and, and that'll help bring the athlete down or actually get them into this more parasympathetic dominant place um, for recovery. But, you know, we're, we're always trying to, you, you can't um, replace the actual downtime, right? You, you just can't, you know, and people don't understand that. They're trying to maximize all their time. It's like, no, there, it, it's really important that there's downtime in your board. And unfortunately we can't be bored. So people go to the phone. <laughs> so true. And it's like, dude, read a fucking book. Like <laughs> go outside, get some sun, man. Like, fuck. Like vitamin, every cell on that body is designed to take in what that sun is doing. And like, it helps with that process. Get your shoes off for Christ's sakes. Like step on grass with bare feet. Like go walk around. Like you can't replace this stuff with, you know, but you certainly can enhance that stretching and mobility time with breath control. And I think it's really important to take a look at something like yoga and where they applied these things into positional strategies. Like why is it they exhale into flexion and inhale into extension where like getting into positions of restriction and breathing into those and not doing it with my mouth. Because if I go and open up here like this, I can breathe real easy. Right. But if I, Oh shit. There's a lot of restriction there. Mm. Like that's different breathing through my nose. And there's a big reason because I'm forcing my diaphragm to actually come on and breathe horizontally in a very different way than breathing vertically and getting away with chest breathing and shoulder breathing here. Right. So I can start to teach people what opening up and getting back to normal really means. And, you know, start at, like Kelly Starrett from uh, the Ready Skate has done a fantastic job with all of that. I mean, there was, you know, he and I grew up together and he was the only one speaking a language that was like, I was like, oh my God, nobody's talking about things like this. And it was like, he's like, dude, what you're talking about, nobody, you know, it's like, we just kept going at it and, and working around these subjects. And it's like, dude, it, it's, it's fundamental across the boards and how this gets applied. Right. And there's no reason why breath control shouldn't be at the foundation of everything we're doing with inside training. It's just learning how to apply that. And that's where my job actually has to come in is where people have to bring me in for consultation because it's like, here's where we can insert. Here's where we can insert. I'm not there to restructure your program or programs per se. I'm there to show you how to implement these strategies and where they can actually create the biggest bang for your buck inside an organization yeah that's that's a great point and that's what i was trying to get at is that there's definitely low-hanging fruit isn't there there's, there's oh, areas that we can you know and people are smart enough but i you know i mean it's also like we're not intelligent enough in certain aspects because we get so fixated on such little things then we think breathing becomes the thing but it's like no breathing just the foundation of this where can we apply it and understand it and then where can we start to see the holes in our organization as a result of it, right? 
And then you start to look at the athletes training and you go, oh, like this guy or gal is mouth breathing all the time on the pitch. Like, whoa, we've got some, there's definitely, like I can tell you right now, there's a metabolic issue with that. That metabolic issue may just be a component of emotional or physical, but that's where the homework starts to begin, right? This is why we have sports psychs. This is why we have conditioning coaches, et cetera. This is why you have metabolic equipment. Like, what are we looking at here? Where is the disruption? Why is this athlete breathing like this all the time? Everyone's going to be looking in that next game, they're going to be watching mouths, watching noses. <laughs> and that's going to be me as well. I'm going to be all yeah. over it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's interesting, man, because, it, it, you know, this, this really, like, the reason I, we, we, we clung to this was because it covers everything. <laughs> it le legitimately, we're able to see the entire behavioral orchestra of, of, the biological experience by understanding ventilation because ventilation is at the epicenter of what's going on through the entire experience, whether it's internal or external. Brilliant. Brian, one last thing I wanted you to touch on, which I heard you talk about, I can't remember what podcast it was, um, was the link between sort of breath work and immune health. Yeah. And that, when you were talking about that, I was like, wow, because obviously with COVID and everything that's gone on recently, this should be like a, we should be paying more and more attention to this, but I'm not sure whether we, we are or people are or not. But can you give a little bit of um, information around that? Because I found that really fascinating. Where, uh, I mean, you want me to focus like the COVID thing or you want me to just immune in, in general? Yeah, I think in general. I think in okay. general. The immune system in general is, you know, it, it's unfortunately we have immune system dysfunction at large because we're more of a sympathetically dominant culture globally, not just the U.S. and the U.K. This is a global thing. Right. And I think we all can agree on that. So if I'm in a more heightened sympathetic state, where, what does that mean from a from a. Um, like a neuroendocrine response, sort of, even in, 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 like if we were to include neuroimmune endocrinology, which is now a new study, right? Um, this would mean we're seeing, and I'm not the expert here, but I've looked into this stuff enough to see what, what it means immune systems respond to things and should come down, right? Like the immune system shouldn't be in a heightened state, meaning adrenaline is an immune system booster, right? So if we're in a constant state of an immune system at a heightened arousal state, you're, you're going to see, you're, you're going to see that when, when somebody finally comes off that or finally relaxes enough that they'll get a cold or they'll, they'll get sick, Right. I can't tell you how many times I've listened to a podcast on like, you know, like a Joe Rogan or like a, you know, like one of the top podcasts and they've got some, you know, high expert on who's talking about how they went on vacation or how every time they go on vacation or something, 
after about two or three days, they get, a, they get sick. And I instantly am like, yeah, that's because you're finally coming off the fuck off that heightened arousal state. Uh, so I argue that. We're not in a regulated state. Um, so just the general idea around this is that your, your, our, our sympathetic parasympathetic systems should be evolved. It should be flowing out all day, right? Like when, when, when somebody comes to a practice, even a coach, it's on time. So I come into a heightened arousal state because I'm queuing into what's going on or I'm putting out as to what's going on in a practice, right? So my immune system comes back on. I need to come off of that. And that's the importance of recovery so that things can fix and make the changes that are necessary from an endocrine system standpoint so that we come back into an anabolic state, a growth state, right? Not just this catabolic state. So using breath to actually regulate that allows us to grab a hold of an immune system and allow that immune system to come off that heightened state in the right periods of time. We're not doing that enough. This just adds to the conversation we've just had for the last hour, right? But when we look at other things, there seems to be a, and this has been a focal point, and I, I kind of started with this earlier, um, that, you know, in studying altitude and hypoxia, what we're starting to see are some, I might sneeze here in a second, um, <laughs> which is what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of literature around hypoxia, namely intermittent hypoxia. I've studied, I've studied hypoxia for about 15 years and developed protocols around it to get people adapt, more adaptive to this response that we tend to see with this that creates a better immune system response due to every cell's ability to detect hypoxia. And that comes with certain gene expressions and responses to the system. And we see this, we're seeing this right now with COVID, big time. Um, as I, I'm starting to use some of these protocols as research is starting to finally start to come out on this, not just with COVID, but you will see, I can guarantee, I'm in conversations right now with some very interesting things around this to where the focus is going to go towards hypoxia and intermittent hypoxia due to the recovery aspects that it, it employs. Recovery simply meaning is a global thing, how the system comes back to homeostasis and the immune system sits inside of that response. It's not the answer to things by any stretch of, of, of the of it, but I can tell you that you can create many Sherpa-like effects with inside any human experience. It's just to what degree and what protocols we're using within that. And so just to bring titrate this back down into something tangible, the basic way to get a hold of something like this and to express it would to induce some type of hypoxic um, training into one's regimen. That could be as basic as apnea training. That could be, that could step up into things like apnea training or hypoxic training with inside the training regimen meaning we're doing some types of breath hold to exacerbate some dynamic hypoxia 
into the training, which we know can express EPO in ways that is like major, but it takes some time for adaptation. You don't necessarily need machines, but if you just so happen to want to invest in a hypoxic simulator or machine, you could therefore start to express these things in ways that changes not only how we physiologically make changes to performance, but recovery and immune system. And we're seeing this across the boards. It's not about COVID. It's not about uh, immune system. It's about the whole totality of it. Like I'll cite research all the time. I cite a study on panic disorders all the time where they looked at people who have panic attacks. And it's interesting that the signs and symptoms show up an hour or more before a panic attack happens. Then when the actual panic attack occurs, there is no physio, there's nothing physiologically wrong with the individual. Wow. The general public hears that or people hear that and they go, okay, well, so I don't have panic attacks. No, no, no. You're not hearing what I'm saying. What I'm really saying is that when you lose your shit and we all lose our shit, there were signs long before that that were happening that you didn't set boundaries or pay attention to that have now allowed something else to become the focal point to where you blame. And that is just simply breaking down, you weren't in control of your physio, of your responses or setting your own boundaries to understand that. This is where a breath protocol training, pro, this is where a periodized program comes into play with team to where we can organize and set things to where people become very, because of the amount of breath work we are now applying to things, people go, holy shit, I'm mouth breathing right now. They become aware, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, I wonder why I'm mouth breathing. Oh, because I'm driving around in my car like an idiot, trying to get somewhere really like, and not paying attention to what's going on versus calmly driving to get where I'm going. Because being in a rush just drained some energy and put me into this heightened arousal state. And now I'm reacting when I get there, right? Like it's all connected. And the problem is, is that we're, we don't have people who have learned how to connect the dots enough to this, but breathing becomes that foundation because once we've hardwired how to actually pay attention to the patterns to get you back to what is real normal breathing, you then become aware of dysfunctional breathing instantaneously in yourself. And you start to see it everywhere. I watched a bunch of runners the other day at the beach. I went surfing and I was sitting there like getting changed and there must have been 20 or 30 runners that came running by, all at a very slow pace. Every one of them was mouth breathing. For what? Because that's all they know. Mm. And they're just, they're, they're, metabolically, they're not doing themselves a service. They're just getting something done that they think they need to get done in order to feel better about themselves versus really understanding why can't I just feel better about myself regardless of doing this or not? Like, and how about I go out and do this and learn what this does for me and retrain the system and become more physiologically capable of things. 
it's very interesting to watch once you start to really implement this stuff because you start to see it everywhere. No, this is, there's some incredible information there. I, I really appreciate that, Brian. And I know as well, that's just scratching the surface on, but, yeah. on some of this I, I as mean, well. I mean, I hope it's not too deep. You know, I, I hope it's not too deep, too philosophical. But the fact is, is you can't have this approach. This is actually like, like philosophy should be at the foundation of every organization or person's life. That, that's my opinion. But that is what should be at the end. I mean, this is why organizations have like vision statements and mission statements and things. Mm. Those are the fundamental philosophies of what these things stand for. Well, what do you stand for? Now go out and, and let's implement the tools. Let's use the tools to keep us here, right? And breathing starts the f- fundamentals of those tools. Well, just on that as well, though, the, a lot of coaches face a battle financially at clubs. I'm talking oh, yeah. in the UK more oh, than yeah. anywhere about oh, purchasing yeah. bits of equipment and things like that. And essentially, like you said at the very, very start, we're taking it back to the body. <laughs> So if that's not an argument for adding some of this stuff in, then I don't know what is. But no, I think there's some been some incredible information. I know you're putting new stuff out all the time, which is brilliant. So keep up the amazing work. I want to be really respectful of your time as well. Um, just before I let you go, I know you mentioned it before, the website, and I don't know if you mentioned your social media, but where would you send people to sort of keep up with what's going on? Shiftadapt.com. Um, that's our website. And then um, there's a social media account. There's social media accounts for that. And then, it, you know, I only use, I, I think, yeah, I, I really only use Instagram. I just post information on there. I don't hang out. I don't like get involved in anything really, um, you know, and that's at underscore Brian McKenzie. Um, there's ways to get a hold of me through those, either one of those places, uh, whether the website or the social media stuff. Um, you know, reaching out to the organization if people want to. Um, and then we have the Health and Human Performance Foundation, um, which is hhp-foundation.org, um, where we are studying a lot of this stuff and putting out research and sharing research that's coming out on all of this stuff um, all the time. So we're very invested in this and want to make sure that, you know, the world gets as much of this in there vocal as they can yeah well keep up the amazing work and i I thank you very much for your time today i I really appreciate you coming on yeah you're welcome ben thanks for having me on man i really appreciate it some of these podcasts that i do i sort of sit there at the end and my brain is just like wow (laughs) and this is definitely one of them um if you're anything like me listening to the work that brian does it's amazing but i also think that there's so many ways that we can apply the stuff he's doing um to our practice so i think it's really important and something definitely to consider go and follow him first of all go and check him out he's on twitter at brian mckenzie or one word and over on instagram at underscore brian mckenzie because they're constantly putting up some great stuff and also shift which is the company that he's involved in too um in terms of takeaways, I mean, there's loads in terms of just the importance of something so simple in terms of our breath. But I think the big one for me was the whole changing gears. And when he talked about going from mouth only breathing to nasal and mouth to nasal only breathing and how we can sort of utilize that and practice it with what we do um, in training. 
And I'm sure everybody listening is going to be watching players now on how they're breathing in the next training session or the next game. And it's something that I actually did in the gym today, just tried it out. And honestly, some of the really simple or things that sound simple, the protocols are really, really tough and they do take practice. So it's definitely something to try and work in with your players. But yeah, as always, let us know what you thought of the episode. I thought it was absolutely quality and some great information, but it great, it'd be great to hear from you as well. So give us a share, share on socials, but also reach out at FootballFitFed on Twitter and Instagram, or you can drop us an email as well, as well mail at FootballFitFed.com. These shows are going to keep coming, so get ready for some big guests over the next few weeks as well. I will speak to you next week in episode 184.